0: Welcome to U News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is October 9th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. The Trump White House dramatically escalating its battle with Congress announcing that it will not comply with any requests for information surrounding the House impeachment inquiry. Just days after President Trump announced the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria, the Turkish government has begun a military offensive inside that country. Residents in the war-torn nation reportedly in huge panic. And Mexico says goodbye to the Prince of Song. The remains of Jose Jose laid to rest in Mexico City. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Herman Cain, a former presidential hopeful who was once considered by President Donald Trump for the Federal Reserve, has died after being hospitalized with coronavirus. He was 74 years old. Cain's death was announced today on his website by Dan Calabrese, who edits the site and had previously written about his colleague's diagnosis. Kane attended the rally for President Trump in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on June 20th, where he did not wear a mask. And now we continue with Washington, President Trump calling to delay the 2020 election and rescinding an Obama-era fair housing rule designed to help low-income families. This as racial tensions continue to flare up across the country.
1: Andrea Linares has the latest on these
0: developments.
1: President Trump going on a Twitter rant in this tweet saying universal mail in voting in 2020 would be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history and then calling to delay the election until people can safely vote. And once again, referring to the coronavirus as the China virus. Tweeting, major China virus flare ups in many of the countries that the fake news was touting as doing so well. Some of these countries are now a disaster. Lamestream media doesn't want to report this. Meantime, the Capitol is cracking down on the coronavirus. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi issuing a mask mandate. Members and staff will be required to wear masks at all times in the hall of the House. The new policy comes in response to growing concerns after Congressman Louie Gohmert tested positive.
2: I'm asymptomatic. I don't have any of the symptoms that are listed as part of COVID-19.
1: The Texas Republican has frequently been spotted on the Hill without a mask. On Tuesday, he was seen walking alongside Attorney General Bill Barr, neither of them in a mask. Following his positive diagnosis, he returned to his Capitol Hill office to inform his staff, But Attorney- a mask to deliver that message in person. Hearing. Meanwhile, President Trump making headlines during yesterday's visit to Texas. The president attending an event at an oil rig in Midland. A large crowd gathered, but most of them didn't wear masks, nor did they social distance.
2: It's been hell for suburbia.
1: The president rolled back an Obama-era fair housing rule meant to combat segregation and help low-income minorities.
3: I abandoned and took away and just
2: rescinded the rule. It's been going on for years. I've seen conflict for years. We rescinded the rule three days ago. So enjoy your life, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy your life.
1: Trump's latest move is now stirring racist fears, but some experts say he's trying to shore up shrinking support with the white voters. The president later tweeting from Air Force One, I am happy to inform all of the people living their suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in your neighborhood. Your housing prices will go up based on the market and crime will go down. It seems like we may see a tight race in Texas. A recent poll from Quinnipiac University found that former Vice President Joe Biden is ahead of President Trump by just one percentage point, 45 to 44 percent. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, unions. Thank you, Andrea, for that report and
0: severe economic numbers emerging out of Washington this morning. The U.S. economy shrunk at a dizzying 33 percent annual rate in the April-June quarter, by far the worst quarterly plunge ever. The coronavirus outbreak shutting down businesses, throwing tens of millions out of work and sending unemployment surging to 14.7 percent. The Commerce Department estimate uh, Commerce Department's estimate of the second quarter decline in the gross domestic product. The total output of goods and services marked the sharpest such drop on records dating back to 1947. And meanwhile, the U.S. has now surpassed 150,000 deaths and experts warning the number will soon reach 200,000 by the fall. Dr. Fauci cautioning a few states, warning they could soon see cases grow exponentially if they don't act right now. This says the battle to reopen schools continues. The U.S. on Wednesday hitting yet another unfortunate milestone, surpassing 150,000 deaths due to COVID-19.
3: And if we don't do something to change our course, we will have multiple hundreds of thousands of deaths in this country.
0: Tuesday was the deadliest day this summer so far, with 1,244 lives lost. And over the past two days, five states, Arkansas, Montana, Oregon, Florida and Texas, all reported record number of deaths. The Association of American Medical Colleges is calling for decisive coordinated action, releasing a detailed roadmap calling for increased testing, enforcement of reopening criteria, as well as informing and educating the public. Experts signaling out a few states warning they are very close to entering a COVID-19 crisis.
3: For example, Ohio, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Indiana, which are starting to show that very subtle increase in percent positives among the total tested which is a surefire hint that you may be getting into the same sort of trouble with those states that the southern states got into trouble with
0: meanwhile the fight over opening schools rages on vice president mike pence on wednesday visiting a private school in north carolina
3: we really do believe it's in the best interest of our children to be back in the classroom.
0: Education Secretary Betsy DeVos acknowledged there is no national plan for schools. There's not a national superintendent, nor should there be, therefore there's not a national plan for reopening. In Florida's hardest-hit county, Miami-Dade officials announcing the school year will begin with online classes only until at least October. But in places like Indiana, despite the rising rate of infections, some school districts there have already started welcoming students. And Vermont is the only state right now that has not reported any deaths in the last six weeks, and still they are pushing back the reopening of their schools two more weeks. And as school districts around the country grapple with whether to reopen in just a few weeks, the nation's second largest school district facing a controversy of its own. Here's Jaime Garcia.
4: The union that represents more than 33,000 teachers in the second largest school district in the country opposed forcing teachers to return to teach from the empty classrooms at the beginning of the upcoming school year in August.
5: The possibility of uh, returning to school in this school year is there, but before that happens we want to see the infection rates go down for a couple of weeks. We want to make sure that the protocols of safety are in place.
4: Last week the Los Angeles School District Superintendent announced that the new school year will begin with students taking virtual classes from their homes, but proposed that teachers should come back to schools. In a statement to Univision, a Los Angeles Unified spokesperson declared, our goal is to provide the best possible education for students while protecting the health and
5: safety of all in the school community. We don't agree that the district should demand that all teachers go back to school and instruct from their classroom online. We believe that this should be an option for all the teachers who might want to go back and do it uh, from their classroom. But to do a blanket uh, demand, we don't agree with the district.
6: I have three children, it's better that they stay home. I have two girls with special
1: needs. For me, it's better that they stay home.
4: This mother who went to enroll her children in school said that the teacher's health also needs to be protected.
6: It's okay that teachers teach from home as well.
4: The teachers are also opposed to teaching seven consecutive hours daily, saying that it's not good for students' health
5: to spend that many hours in front of a screen. It's just too many hours for the students. We want the instruction to be successful and we want the student to learn having them too many hours online it would be distracting and at times could be also boring so we need to find a better solution the position
4: of the teachers of los angeles is in the middle of the negotiations that they are having with the school district previous to the start of the new school year next august 18 in los angeles jaime garcia your new news
0: And joining me now for a look at the situation in Arizona is Marcy Flanagan. She's the executive director of the Maricopa County Department of Public Health. Director Flanagan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Director, your state, Arizona, is seeing a drop in cases of 22 percent for two weeks, since two weeks ago. And Maricopa County is also seeing a drop. What measures do you think appear to be having an effect?
6: Uh, Certainly, uh, the mask requirement that we implemented countywide has had a positive impact on our numbers. We also, at the same time, our governor uh, closed down bars and uh, tubing, recreation, gyms, those sort of things. So, we don't know. um, It's a combination of both of those actions that happen very closely to one another that I believe has helped our rates decline.
0: And most of the cases in the state are in Maricopa County itself, over 113,000, we believe, while the state has a total of 168,000. What are some of the factors you think causing the concentration of cases in that area?
6: So Maricopa County accounts for um, over 60% of the whole state's population. So we're certainly always um, going to bear the largest number of cases in Arizona. We really saw our numbers peak in middle of June. There were other areas of the state that experienced outbreaks a little bit earlier on than us up in the Navajo Nation. Um, But it's really just the sheer size of Maricopa County that lends itself to us having the largest percent in Arizona.
0: And Director Flanagan, let me ask you this. About half of all the cases and About 41 percent of hospitalizations are Latino residents in Maricopa, even though they account for only 31 percent of the county's population. This number might be even much higher um, only because only half of all racial and ethnic information is collected. So what measures has the county taken to address the number of cases among this population?
6: Yeah, definitely. um, When we start looking at numbers and um, seeing that there is differences happening in different communities, we go in and work directly with those communities, Um, specifically with the uh, Latino and Hispanic neighborhoods. We are trying to get more testing in those areas areas and also help in some of those um, situations where there's multi-generational family members living together, making sure that we are able to provide alternate housing for either those that are infected or those that aren't infected. So there's a lot of uh, circumstances going on in those areas that we are addressing, providing face, uh, cloth face masks and um, testing are really key in those areas.
0: And director, before we go, let me ask you this in relation to the deaths. Since the beginning of the outbreak, there have been over 1,800 deaths due to COVID-19 in your county. Um, So how are hospitals and funeral homes adjusting to this increase in numbers?
6: So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a point when our medical examiner had uh, several decedents that were ready for pickup, and the funeral homes that we typically work with that are part of our rotation were at capacity. And so, at that point, the unified command with public health and the office of um emergency management brought in 14 coolers. Our plan and hope is not to, that we don't have to utilize those at all. But really what we started doing is um, hearing from our hospital partners as well that they were starting to reach some capacity issues in their morgue. So it was reaching out to our funeral homes and asking where was that pressure and how could we help alleviate some of that pressure. So some of that pressure was caused by just uh, lack of staff at the funeral homes to help reach out to physicians to get medical... Certifications done. So we've offered support in that. And also, there has been a lack of or a concern for individuals who are low income that have had difficulties financially um, with. Folks may have losing their jobs or um, been furloughed during this pandemic that are having financial difficulties paying for final disposition. So the county has actually just approved yesterday a program that would help provide additional financial support to low-income families to help them with their um, final disposition of their loved ones.
0: Well, Director, we're certainly very glad to hear that things are slowly starting to get better in your county. Thank you so much for your time. Marcy Flanagan, executive director of the Maricopa County Department of Public Health. And now to Washington. The family of murdered four-hood soldier Vanessa Guillen and their lawyer will meet with the president today. They're advocating for a bill against sexual harassment and abuse in the military. Edwin Petey joins me with the details. Edwin?
7: That's right, Lorraine. It has been a very emotional day here in Washington, D.C. Vanessa Guillen's family starting their agenda in the nation's capital very early with a press conference close to the National Mall. However, now, really close to the White House, we see a lot of people sharing their experiences with everybody that has been coming close to support them. A lot of people sharing painful stories they had to do when they were in the military, but not only them. Also, one of the most emotional uh, people that shared their stories this morning, Vanessa Guillén's 16-year-old sister. She made very clear that she doesn't like to use heels, but today she wore them because her sister Vanessa Guillén got it for her, let's listen. But yeah- now Vanessa Guillén's family are still meeting with President Donald Trump but before going into the White House her mom made very clear the three things that she would like to ask the president. The main thing is to support the bill I am Vanessa Guillén, the second of them is to stop treating the military the way they're doing it right now. She wants to see big changes inside the Pentagon and also she wants the president to give her the people responsible for taking the life of her daughter. Let's
2: listen. I am for hood. Que se me escuchara, que se me escuchara, que me escuchara el gobernador. Yo pide a gritos que cerraran esa base. El general no me puso atención. Los coroneles tampoco, se burlaron de mí. Yo sé que se burlaron de mí, pero miren estoy ahorita. Pero miren estoy ahorita. A punto de ver al presidente de la nación.
7: Again, Lorraine, uh, Vanessa Guillén's family was not alone in this trip to Washington, D.C. A lot of people from all over the country, from California, Texas, Arizona, made their way to Washington to be with them in this special day. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And today we're learning more about the president's decision to pull nearly 12,000 troops out of Germany. According to defense officials, it will take years to execute and potentially cost billions of dollars. President Trump's decision is being met with bipartisan opposition in Congress. There's major concern among Democrats and Republicans that it will weaken the U.S. military's position regarding Russia. Key U.S. allies also object, viewing the move as a blow to NATO. The 2020 hurricane season is off to a busy start. Tropical Storm Isaias became the ninth named storm late Wednesday night, while all of South Florida remains in the forecast path. As of 11 a.m. this morning, a tropical storm watch has been issued for the islands of the Bahamas. Currently, the storm is moving northwest at 21 miles per hour and is currently southeast of the Dominican Republic with maximum sustained winds of about 60 miles per hour. And in Texas, people in one town near Houston were shaken when they felt the ground move after a natural gas explosion. It happens in Mont Bellevue, and the explosion was caused by a piece of machinery that struck a liquid natural gas line at a facility. The accident led to a fire that responding firefighters were able to get under control. Everyone at the plant is accounted for with no injuries reported. Meanwhile, in Texas, hospitals overwhelmed, the death toll growing and doctors struggling to keep up. That's how one physician is describing the coronavirus situation in the border city of Brownsville. That doctor traveling from San Francisco to help with one of the nation's hot spots. And here's Gianni Aponte with his story.
3: It's just been overwhelming.
8: Dr. Robert Rodriguez has been an ER doctor for 25 years, but the past week in Brownsville, Texas has been the hardest of his career.
3: I've been surprised at the, the sheer number and the acuity of the patients here.
8: Dr. Rodriguez works at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. In San Francisco County, 56 people have died from COVID-19. Brownsville, located on the U.S.-Mexico border, is in Cameron County, Texas, which has half of the population of San Francisco. But according to John Hopkins University, they have had nearly five times as many COVID deaths, 272 people.
3: There's typically at least one death a day, if not more.
8: And that's just at Brownsville Valley Baptist Hospital, where Rodriguez has been volunteering in one of four ICUs they've created for the pandemic.
3: We're trying everything, uh, but these patients are extremely, extremely sick.
8: Rodriguez grew up in Brownsville, where he says there are only six critical care physicians.
3: They're exhausted. There's not a, a deep bench of positions like there is there is there there is in the Bay Area.
8: Cameron County is 90% Latino.
3: Everybody's wearing masks here. The spread is not uh, because people aren't being responsible. Uh, I, I think it's largely due to socioeconomic issues.
8: But in the meantime,
3: the best way you can take care of frontline providers and everybody else here in the hospital is by taking care of yourself.
0: Genesis
8: Vieira for U
6: News.
0: And New York State has reported more than 32,000 deaths. And tragically, not all of those who have died battling COVID-19 have been identified or claimed. Fabiola Galindo brings us an update on the search for peace and a proper goodbye for those victims.
2: It is the last stop for hundreds of New Yorkers who died of COVID-19 and have not been buried yet. A parking lot with refrigerated trucks full of frozen bodies that are waiting to be claimed. They were low income people who simply couldn't stop working. They didn't have an option, says Yacer Hernandez, who left the lab coat of the medical examiner's office where he works to join the efforts at the morgue set for the disaster back in April. I got hundreds of phone calls every day, he says, and it was hard for me to talk to families and understand what they were going through. He answered phone calls from families of New Yorkers who were dying at home. His colleague, forensic scientist Veronica Cano, did the same no saben They were people that didn't know how to handle someone dying at home, so they would call us. Some people were calm, but others were so overwhelmed and desperate. Many, she says, told her they didn't have money for a funeral. The family will tell me, I don't have a job right now. This is very difficult for me to get a funeral home. And so we would offer other type of help. The city offered help and relief, but it is estimated that one 1,300 bodies remain in the containers. In April, the city began to freeze the remainings as a way to avoid more mass graves. The authorities want to be very clear, the bodies of those who died in the middle of the pandemic will be able to remain here inside the freezing containers, which brings another challenge, how to embalm the bodies of those who were frozen, a more difficult and rare procedure. Both scientists opted for forensic careers to help in the midst of tragedies. I had anticipated that when something big happened, my help will be needed, but never expected to be this. With humanity, they promised they will be here if another wave hits. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News.
0: More of U News after this short break.
2: Welcome back to U News.
0: And this week in Mexico, a video was released showing the recent ambush of a group of tourists in Puerto Vallarta, which left one dead as several others were seemingly kidnapped. Eleven days after the attack, the state prosecutor in Jalisco finally admitted that there was a mass kidnapping of at least 14 people in the middle of a gunfight. Three of those people remain in captivity. Yania Ponte has more.
9: this is the moment when an armed attacker gunned down tourists from the state of guanajuato upon their arrival in puerto vallarta jalisco several of them were kidnapped the video recorded on july 18th shows how after the shooting several all-terrain vehicles fled and later a driver got out of one of the vehicles and ran to safety all of the vehicles were driven by young businessmen who days before left the city of leon for a trip to mexico's pacific coast According to the prosecutor's office, they could have been mistaken for a criminal cartel operating in the area. The same cartel that engineered the kidnapping of El Chapo's sons in the same place four years ago. That is why they are continuing to investigate possible links between the one person killed during the attack and cartel activity.
5: Get the He
9: has had some addresses registered both, to his name and to some of his relatives in the town of Santa Rosa de Lima. Some of his relatives have criminal records. In his case, nothing specific has been located. Almost two weeks after the initial mass kidnapping, some of the businessmen are still being held. They were taken to some place and later released, leaving behind three people who it seems may have been kidnapped. In the face of this new criminal chapter, the Jalisco Prosecutor's Office has also been confronted with this not very widely seen video recorded two years ago, in which supposed ministerial police officers execute two men and then flee, running over one of the bodies in the process. Reported by Atsiri Cárdenas, this is Gianni Aponte for U News.
0: And finally today, take a look at this. These are endangered tigers captured on camera in Thailand. These sightings of endangered tigers in the western part of the country are rekindling hope that animals are returning to the country's forest after being poached to near extinction. And that is very good news to end our show today. That's all the time we have for Thursday. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. Thank you so much for watching, for joining us, and we hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a good night. And take care. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for listening to You News the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.